Hi there and good morning or afternoon or night wherever you're at. Welcome to the Two Dudes Talk Tattoos podcast. A podcast about science and art and all the things in between or adjacent to tattooing. My name is Ryan Othis. You can find me online at Ryan, R-I-A-N underscore O-T-H-U-S on Instagram, bettertattooing.com and on the YouTube channel, Better Tattooing. Uh, I'm one of the the one half of this show. My other half is Brian Matthew. You can find Brian at Brian underscore Matthew underscore illustrations on Instagram at the Scarlet Veil uh, and a tailored fit tattoo gallery on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and all other fancy places where you may post about your life. I apologize about the tone and timbre of my voice. I ended up getting in at uh, 2 o'clock in the morning last night, and the babies decided to wake up at 5 a.m. So I uh, I was going to be waiting a little bit later to try and get this recording done, but it is a bit last minute as well, which seems to be my, my shtick right now. So here we are. We're doing this full of energy. I'm having a green tea. I switched I switched from coffee to tea like last week, uh, which sucks. Like I, I don't know. I know there's tea people out there, and I kind of think that they're snobby. I do. It's like the, they're, they're less snobby than people who drink, like, espresso with the pinky up, and they, like, you know, can talk about how long that the roast has been applied to the beans, you know. But it, it's just hot water with coloring in it. It's, it's nasty. I'm having a matcha. I don't know. I don't even know what the hell a matcha is, but I'm drinking it right now, and I guess it has caffeine. So let's pray, people. On today's show... We have Dr. John Swerk. Yeah, he's a professor of inorganic chemistry at uh, Bingham University in New York. He runs the Swerk Group uh, at the university as well, which does chemical analysis of stuff that's being interacted with by light. The stuff he does is nuts. If you want to check him out, you can go online at johnswerk.com or you can just type in whatsinmyink.com to see his... Uh, website that deals with the pigments um so why is all this stuff important well realistically we want to know what's in tattoo pigment bottles because that we know exactly what we're putting into people's skin right so that's what dr john does he tests what's inside the bottles to see if things match what is on the label um the things that we're trying to look for you know inside the pigment is really important because most no- novel new chemicals that may be used in one of the carrier packets or carrier solutions, however you want to say that, um, or, or maybe mixed inside there to try and increase the the vibrancy of the colors that you see. We don't know how they interact with the environment. Like, what if you leave it out in the air and it breaks down and it releases a harmful chemical into the air? Is that being done to your body? Well, if it's in your skin and it's you know being broken down by the sun and and this pigment is lightning, why is it lightning? And why is that lightning effect, you know, just considered to be safe? What if, what if those pigments are being broken down by sunlight interaction and they're releasing carcinogens in your body. You know, what if you have a color tattoo and it could give you cancer? These are things that need to be asked. And it's not, this is like to preface the whole talk, people. You don't have to get scared. Right now we've been running, you know, pigments in the body for a long time. These these specific ones that we're, we're thinking about have been going on for about the past 10 to 15 years. And... So far, there hasn't been a study showing that there is good or bad because of this, but it's about time that the question has been asked. That way we can put it to rest because 
some people or players out there are saying tattoo pigment is wholly safe and science needs to stay out of the industry, while others such as myself and Dr. John have been pushing quite hard to try and ensure that no, we need science into this because we need to utilize science as a process to make sure that everything we're doing is safe for the people who are marking their bodies. I apologize about the noise so far. It's rush hour out here and I record in a garage, which I know everyone's telling me just record in a closet. I don't really have closets where I live. So we end up with a bit of background noise. And at the same time, the the audio quality, God, I'm complaining a lot today, aren't I? Ugh, anyways, the audio quality of the episode was a bit degraded. I don't know what happened with the recording. So I apologize in advance if any one of you has sensitive eardrums or, you know, is likes likes tea because <laughs> i guess you might be a little bit touchy with your you know thirty five hundred dollar headphones listening to a podcast at home in front of your record player i'm sorry we did the best that we could uh next week's episode is going to have better quality anyways dr john is super duper rad he's already touched base with us saying that he's going to come back on the show when he gets more evidence and published results from his studies about what is in tattoo ink which is going to be super duper awesome so for today's homework, which I'm just going to stick with that. I mean, if you guys don't like it, just, just tap forward a couple times. You can, you know, shut me up that way because you're in control, not me. Isn't that a fun philosophical concept? Uh, anyways, homework is we're trying to think about the consequences all of this stuff could have, right? Most of the assumptions that we are, you know, have in tattooing are all focused on so much data that was gathered uh, through research because tattooing was interesting 30 years ago. And since then, it's kind of changed space. So if you can think about tattooing 30 years ago, it probably brings forward a very specific mind of person who's getting this done. And that's not really how the industry looks now. So as it's opening up and as it's becoming more art-centric, it's not so much as like this trade relation, um, trying to create that bridge between art and science is absolutely necessary. That's what, that's what Dr. John does. He's trying to find out if what we're doing to people as tattooers or what, are, what we're getting in our body as clients is actually safe. Anyways, I've done a lot of rumbling this morning. Rumbling. So I'll leave you with the show. If you want to, you can give us a review on uh, any of your podcast providers. I don't know, whatever those platforms are. Uh, if you go on Apple and leave us a review, it's really great. It helps us kind of spike up the rankings. Your ratings help us spike the rankings. That's like uh, one of those vocal warm-ups you do before you go on stage. Yeah, if you can do that for us, that'd be great. Um, we have a couple, and starting next week, I'm going to start doing some shout-outs to people who've been leaving them. So thank you very much for everyone who has already. Uh, past that, if you have any type of topics that you'd like to cover, please feel free to reach out to us at twodudestalktattoos at gmail.com. That's T-W-O, not the number two. T-W-O, dudes. Talktattoos at gmail.com. Uh, and we'll do what we can. Uh, Brian's working on some big ones with the art world. I mean, big ones. Fingers crossed that we can land some of those people to come on here. It would be really, really interesting to talk to. And uh, I'm going to be doing a couple more of these scientific people. So in the meantime, on the off weeks where we don't have science or art biggies, you know, coming into the show to talk about tattoo adjacent or tattoo-related stuff, it'll just be me and Brian talking again. It's time for the show. Thanks for listening to me ramble. I'll talk to you after.
Yeah. Hey, should we, uh, you want to just jump right in? Sure. Brian, um, I had sent a list of questions to Mr. John ahead of time. So I uh, wanted to be how professional. Of you. <laughs> this isn't normally how we do it. We just kind of wing it, but I'm like, yeah, I might as well do this. Oh, we can get everything posterity's sake, right? Snapshot in time where we're at. So, so uh, who are you? What's your name? And uh, where do you work? What do you do? Yeah, so my name is John Swark. I'm uh, an assistant professor of chemistry at Binghamton University in New York State. My group works on how light drives chemical reactions. And one of the things we work on is how light transforms tattooings and trying to understand that process. And I told Brian about your, uh, your practice, your specialty, and he was like, oh, fuck. Right. <laughs> uh, the awesome nerd moment. <laughs> um, so we'll just run through my list of stuff here, and we'll, we'll just go free balling after this. So, why is what you're doing important? It's a tough <laughs> one right off the bat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'll admit, I saw you sent the list. I didn't really spend, you know, I should have spent some time really like thinking about it. But no uh, one reads uh, the list anyway. <laughs> but you know, so I think. Like a thesis statement or something, you know, it's like, yeah. yeah. So I think our vision of this or our understanding of this is that when you look at tattoos, there's a lot we really don't understand in terms of the science behind them. We still don't have a great understanding of what a tattoo in the skin really looks like. And we really don't understand any of the chemistry that happens with tattoos that have been embedded into the skin. And so the question that we come back to is why does light cause a tattoo to fade? We know light causes a tattoo to fade, whether it's over time, it seems like tattoos that are exposed to light on the body fade faster than tattoos that are covered up, right? We know that, that tattoos that are covered with sunscreen fade a little slower than tattoos that aren't. And certainly we know that lasering a tattoo off is the most common way of removing a tattoo but we don't understand the underlying science behind any of that. There's a lot of hypotheses, educated guesses, conventional wisdom, but none of that's really based in solid experimental science. And so to really understand what's going on and to understand if there are some hazards we need to be aware of, we have to understand how those processes work. Right. And in particular, when you think about laser tattoo removal, I mean, that's a huge industry that's only growing as the popularity of tattoos increases. And we really don't understand that process at all from a scientific perspective. Yeah, it's a big one. That's, that's awesome. It seems super important because, I mean, as the uh, age of tattooing is becoming more pervasive in the West, it seems that people are starting to think of tattoos less and less as a form of permanent cosmetic modification of the body. They're leaning more and more towards lasers, right? So, yeah, or or I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with this this new temporary year long yes. thing yeah. that fades. Love to know what how that works. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I I seen the paper on that, and I was like, this this seems not like just not for like lack of a better term. It seems weird. Like what's what's the constituents beforehand? How are they broken down? How are they metabolized out of the body? Like where are they being trapped at? Why is this like this? Like it it opened up a lot of questions. I assume it just goes into the epidermis like a stain and then just wears off over time. 
No, it's properly embedded into the dermis, right? And then there's like a photochemical breakdown of the pigment that's in the skin that slowly ages it. It's like a delayed response laser treatment that just yeah, uses you, ambient light or chemical processes in the body or other things as it well. It goes in like a regular tattoo. Yeah. Really oh, I was thinking of the other thing where it's stuck on their arm, they peel it off, and then somehow it's stuck there. Oh, like the henna-esque, yeah, epidermal ones that slowly fade off. These ones... Right. I'll send you the the link to like the the second some of the papers that they published. It's really interesting because it goes standard procedure, and you they have time lapse of the stuff breaking down too. I think there's a limitation in the amount of types of pigments, like colorants. Well, that just use. sounds like scary. Yeah, that just sounds like permanent makeup pigment. Well, because it breaks down way faster than tattooing. You know, the iron oxides versus the uh, this type it's i don't even know mr john i didn't look at like the chemical makeup of this stuff Did you happen to take a look at what they're no i i'm how they're produced as far as i know right now they're they're only doing it with black inks and yeah. i don't you know maybe maybe you've seen it somewhere i i i haven't looked into it that closely if i'm being honest uh, um but i don't think they they've published a lot about the chemistry behind it i seen like two or three papers in total but and they were just like you know cohort of like five to ten people it seems more like a a new age you know like health clinic type of publishing as opposed to like a proper scientific review of stuff but it looked this is a novel substance that something's happening in the body yeah. <laughs> yeah it's you know but again i think that raises i think it goes back to the point you raised which is the impermanence of tattoos and when you're going to leverage that intentionally we don't know. I mean, we, we, we don't really understand what a tattooing does in the body, yeah. period. We know the pigments can become mobile. There's yeah. plenty of, of reports in the medical literature of tattooings accumulating lymph nodes, finding evidence of it in other places, but we don't understand what happens when you start whacking with a high-power laser or just over the years, right? Yeah. I think that's a big part of what we're interested in is is there some secondary process we need to really be thinking about? Because when there's discussions of tattoos and safety, it's overwhelmingly focused on what are the pigments? Are they hazards? Yeah. You know, there's a lot you can talk about with that, right? But that just mostly considers the pigments as they come in the inks. It doesn't necessarily consider what happens when you whack that with a laser or it's exposed yeah. to you over 20 years. Yeah. What are those breakdown products? and you know do we need to think about those yeah yeah we had that thought as well about like uh the, there's so many different types of melanin i think they've identified 100 plus different types like how light energy is going to be absorbed by the individual specific constraints of those mm -hmm. melanized tissues in the body how that can influence the breakdown of the pigments then how that may also affect the the uh, whatever type of byproducts the breakdown is that's being absorbed into the body it's like super complex shit yeah. right yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Well, what are what are you doing right now to to start this research? So, we're still very much at the beginning because there's not a lot of not a lot of science out there on on tattoos. I mean, there there is some, but compared to the scope of tattooing, it's pretty pretty small. I and mean, there's a lot more that we don't understand than we do understand. Yeah. And so we're looking at a few different things. One, we're just looking at the inks themselves. Um, as you know, there's no obligation to sort of disclose ingredients in the US. There's no obligation to have those disclosures be correct. 
Um, and so for us to really understand what's breaking down, we need to understand what's in the eggs. And so we're doing a lot of what you would call analytical chemistry to really figure out what's in the inks, what are the pigments being used? Can we say anything about the carrier packages? And then how well does that line up with what's, um, you know, what's, what's being put on labels? We're doing some work with pigments and model human dermal cells. And cool. just looking at the toxicity of some of the pigments on the dermal cells in the dark. And then the yeah. next step will be to look at them in the light. In the light. Yeah. Um, and are, trying you utilizing, to are you utilizing yeah. lab-grown skin? Or like, what's your, what's your substrate that you're actually testing? They're just um, model, model dermal cells that are, you know, basically passaged and mounted up in a plate. Um, oh, okay, so nothing, cool. Nothing, we're not using artificial skin or anything like that. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I was about to go, yeah! That's super I mean, cool. <laughs> you know, that's something that might be really cool to get to at some point, yeah. but again, baby steps, right? Yeah. We're doing some really interesting collaborations with um, some folks down in Dallas looking at, can we actually sort of watch in real time as a laser strikes a, you know, embedded tattoo ink um, in a model of human skin. It's not human skin, it's not biological, but in a model and sort of watch that process happen in real time. And we in can- vitro versus see, in vivo. That's super cool. Yeah, it's not biological. Um, we're using a, a silicone basically oh, that, yeah. that has similar mechanical properties. Yeah. But we need to have optical, optically transparent examples. And oh, so cool. can we learn something about how much heat is generated? What does the process yeah. look like? Um, what does the shockwave look like? How much force is there? And start sort of understanding that process. Um, doing some photochemical breakdown of pigments, uh, just to sort of see what they break down into. That's been a little bit on hold while we work on some other things. And so that's sort of the scope of what we'd like to, to look at, right? Understand what's in the inks, understand the impact on sort of model skin cells, understand the process of you know, laser tattoo removal, understand the chemistry be behind illuminating pigments. And yeah. through all of that, we can start to, to pull together some kind of larger understanding of what's going on. That's super cool. Yeah. When I found your name, I geeked out so fucking hard. <laughs> I, I talked to a lot of academics. I send at least, at least a dozen emails a week to anyone who may have tattoo mm -hmm. in their CV. So this is when I heard talking to you the first time, I was just like, this is fucking cool. Oh, thank you. Cool. <laughs> what about uh, Brian? Anything pop in your head, buddy? I was reading this ephemeral ink thing, the ink that apparently the pigment gets smaller as it stays in your skin. Well, wow. <laughs> sounds ridiculous. I could see Mr. John going, hmm, because like <laughs> well, that's, that's what they have advertised on their thing. So it's, yeah, it's like that new age health type thing I'm seeing at the same time, right? Because it's, right. It, that things don't just shrink without having something right else there. Uh, should, we, should we go into some, some basic chemistry, Mr. John? Like, well, like <laughs> so what's like the macrophages doing to the tattooing? You know, like how, is, how are they holding it and then not holding it? Yeah, that's it's probably really a good question to 
ask about that stuff, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not an immunologist. (laughs) I think one of the problems, one of the challenges I would say, think about it from a scientific standpoint is, you know, usually when you're confronted with some kind of new system or new, you know, you want to make a prediction, you sort of think about, well, what do we know, right? How does the system work? You know, what are the vectors that it could use to to escape out of the epidermis? Um, And I think while the picture is getting clearer than it used to be, I still, to my mind, don't think it's really a, a settled and set issue. And so it's really hard to sort of predict how this works if you don't really understand no. how the tattoo works. In yeah, the that's in interdisciplinary the- type thing yeah. too, where you're gonna have so much communication between like, you know, chemistry, like what you're doing, you know, you have biology, who's gonna be doing stuff, immunology, yeah. and there's gonna have to be so many different people communicating. This is such a complex thing. It's not easy to just deem something safe or cruelty-free or efficacious just because uh, if it doesn't kill you, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. John's head shot hard sideways there. He's like, well, <laughs> long-term health consequences of this stuff are, are unknown, right? And I think that's the biggest question that I started to come up when I was starting this, this research stuff is looking at the sheer number of people who are tattooed and the limited um, types of pigments or brands of pigments that are available globally there is going to be a large concentration of people who could possibly suffer long-term side effects down the road, especially if we don't know what the fuck we're dealing with. Yeah. So that's like, that's scary. And the thing that I also think a little bit about and worry about is you have this explosion, you know, of, of interest in tattoos, right? And the number of people getting tattoos is just growing almost exponentially. Yeah. And so you know, to me, I worry about somebody who's unscrupulous, you know, take exploiting that, right, in terms of the inks. Because yeah. I think, in my experience, you know, most tattooers are very serious professionals. You know, they're, they're trying to do the best job they can for their clients, but because there's no, really no oversight on the inks at all, the oversight seems to occur when people in the community begin to recognize that there's issues with bad reactions or color fastness or something like that. And I think it's great that those conversations happen and then people maybe, you know, adjust what they're doing, but it means that you had to put that into somebody to find out that, that there's a problem or some issue and problems with tattoos don't necessarily manifest the minute the ink is in the skin. So it adds another dimension of if you wanted to do something maybe less than above board, it's sort of a, there's not a lot of checks there. Yeah, there's a chance for the bad actors to be able to produce a product and get away with it (laughs) for 30 years, maybe. Like just it's an ambiguous number, of course, right? But you mean like in the 1940s when they used house paint instead of tattooing? Yeah, or that the 90s when they were using toner remover to remove tattoos. Like, they found out that wasn't good. Ugh. So yeah, most of those, like, new experimental companies have small batch new products. Tons of Azo dyes dumped into their stuff. They came up brighter than ever colors. In three years, they were gone. 
we have no idea how much money they made, what were actually in the products because labels, which that was the next question I was asking, going to ask Mr. John is they don't, they don't say everything that's actually in the bottle. So Mr. John is there. Should I call you Dr. John instead of Mr. John? I'm sorry if that's disrespectful. Use whatever, you know. No, that's okay. 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 <laughs> Mr. I just Dr. call John. you John. Does, does it have to be <laughs> an asterisk? Whatever you want to call it. Totally <laughs> so, so you've been testing things so far. So what are, what are some of the results that you found? for the listeners at home. So we don't use a, brands here either, just with a endpoint with there. Caveat, what I will say is that when we started this, we talked to a lot of the shops around us and said, what are the brands you like? And what are the brands that you have a bad impression of? Don't just tell us what you think is good and tell us what you think is bad ink too. Yeah. We'd like to see, is there something there? So I will say that to date, Mostly we've looked a lot at inks that are maybe not the industry leaders. We've looked at a couple of pretty significant industry leading inks. I think I mentioned a couple of you. Yeah. But, you know, we still haven't looked at a lot of the, I would say the major industry leaders. But what we have found thus far is that none of the inks we've looked at have been completely and accurately labeled. Hmm. Now, some of that is probably not a huge sin, right? You know, it's it's using ethyl alcohol instead of isopropyl alcohol, which is what's listed on the bottle. Could there be some issues there? Yes, but but realistically, it's not a it's probably not something that's a significant concern from a risk perspective. However, we have certainly found some that are listing the wrong pigments or listing pigments that aren't there. And I think more broadly, you want, if, if the ingredients are gonna be out there, you want it to be complete and accurate, right? Even if, yeah. the, even if the discrepancy is, is relatively minor, you still want that to be correct. So it's sort of shocking to me you know, the, the, thus far, we really haven't found an ink. And again, we've looked at a lot of crummy ink, some of which you can buy off of Amazon, but we've bought some from manufacturers directly. And, and again, there's, you know, we're starting to work into some of the, the larger brands. It's sort of surprising to me. Um, yeah. And, you know, weird if I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I guess the more I've, I've talked to people working in the community that are thinking about this, you know, talk to some people that, that make inks and are, are doing some testing and they're saying, yeah, we find the same thing. I'm like, wow, that's pretty shocking um, to me. Now, again, I think mislabeling pigment is probably a concern. Yeah. But, you know, again, I think it's important just like with food, right? We have an expectation that when we look at the ingredients on the back of a box when at the grocery store, that that's going to be correct. You know, that if it says sugar, it's going to be sugar and not corn syrup. I think it's reasonable to have the same expectation here when you're thinking about something that's permanent. Yeah, absolutely. You are really good at your job, Dr. Mr. John. That was like so political. It was great. Like you're so practiced. 
that was fan fucking dude. It's it's brilliant. Yeah, John, you got to loosen up, buddy. <laughs> no, he can't. No. He's in academia. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, us guys. You know, uh, like, we're not. I don't want to get in the business saying you know that's good, that's bad, no. and you can't. Right? Yeah, you know, our our focus is on getting the data, putting it out there, and saying this is what we know. Right? You're not a policy. You make your decisions. Yeah. You know, that's not our, you know, it's not my place to tell you, use this ink, don't use this ink. Yep. I can tell you this ink is, has a little more accuracy in the labeling. This ink does not, but hey, they both contain the same, as far as we can tell, the same pigments. Does it matter if the ink is missing barium sulfate and it only has TiO2? I don't know. Right? <laughs> but, you know, I can just tell you that it's on the this label. Is, and it's not there. This is the data. This is how we interpreted exactly. it. This is the results. Right. You're a scientist. You're not a politician. That's why I think it was great because you measured that political fucking balance. That stuff perfectly. A good scientist. It's awesome. I've talked to a few people before. They're well, like, and, you this know, is one of the things. Right. I think sometimes the the tattooing community worries about when you know the scientists get involved is, you know, are we gunning to like regulate and you know is that is that what this is a prelude to you know that we're gonna bring in a whole bunch of regulation and and change it it's like that's not that's not what our interest is right our interest is to understand the science to enable people to give better tattoos to make it safer if it if it needs to be safer and i don't know that it's unsafe so like okay so to cut in there right we also have to look at the idea that like a mass majority of the tattoo industry um, is really terrified of words that are hard to pronounce, right? <laughs> so I've had to have arguments with tattoo artists in the past that were afraid of the words ethyl alcohol because to them that made them think of gasoline until I explained to them that that's found in fucking tattooing. Yeah, it's so, that's what you have vodka, right? That's ethyl alcohol. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, I mean... It almost makes me wonder if, like, okay, there's such a thing as mislabeling, right? But I also wonder if they're purposely not putting specific things on labels or MSDS sheets. So they're not scaring off their customers. Well, yeah, so I, I've been thinking about that actually a lot for like the past four or five years since I started dumping my head into this stuff. And I think it comes down to the balance between the people who produce the ink and will air quote around produce it versus the people who mix it and package it. So there's no real controls as far as I can tell so far from any of the research that I've done. They may be out there, but maybe not. That actually can test like the purity or state of the pigment that's being sold as it's going. I mean, the, the cost to implement such a procedure is massive, right? Especially at a global scale where you see like TIO2 sales are billions of dollars globally, right? So it's going to come down to like when you're building a rapport as a person who's mixing the pigments, right? If you work for X brand or whatever, you're going to have to trust the people who are producing it to give you the things that are supposed to be safe and efficacious, or at least understood to be such, right? So there's like almost this, this middleman bridge between like, should we actually be looking at X brand or should we be looking like Dow Pharmaceuticals or BASF or any other you know, major company, Sun Chemical, that produces these things to try and release things that would be niche enough to be used in bodies, which won't happen because the market is fractionally what it is if you look at the global scale so my brain fucking just popped there i'm sorry i need a shot 
Fuck it. <laughs> that's the, that's, I think the biggest challenge is that, you know, if you were starting the whole idea of tattooing from scratch, you wouldn't necessarily, and you could use anything you want, right? You wouldn't settle on the pigments that are being used out there because they're great in car paint and textiles, but you know, they, they don't necessarily look like something that might be great in the body. But you know, the the scale of the tattoo ink market compared to the home paint market or the textile market is like insignificant. Yeah. Right. So f- as I understand it, most of the big pigment manufacturers, they would be just as happy to not sell pigments to tattoos. Yep because it opens up potential for liability that they just don't, don't need because it's a, it's a negligible part of the business. Of course, the thing that, that I don't understand, you know, and having now talked to some people that are doing tattoos, you know, people are getting like six months out of a bottle of ink or more. And you get, you know, I mean, good artists, I don't need to tell you, are getting really good rates per hour. I would think there would be a market for a tattoo ink that is, you know, maybe has more of those things built in, right? It has more of that quality control built in. It's going to cost more, but at the cost of six months with a higher purity or or different pigments, it seems like that market exists. I just don't think a lot of people realize that that market is out there. No, yeah, no, it does. I, I think people hate fucking change, you know? <laughs> I was just wishing I had a bottle of ink that lasted six months. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I think to touch on what you had said before too about the the minuscule market. So I had approached 3M after a few months of of work uh, with one of their lead product developers and some investigative journalism about maybe reclassifying transparent adhesive bandages under the brand name Tegaderm uh, for use in tattooing. And I literally got told to go fuck off. So I got fuck off. I was like, why? Like, is this, they're like, dude, there's no money in that. Like, we're not going to go through all of the steps to reclassify something for use to this stuff. We'll just make it so you can't, you know, repackage the stuff and sell it on the market. It's like, oh, that's fun. So it kind of like influences a lot of ways I'm looking at things in big business wise, right? As soon as they open up liability, bad things fucking happen. And then companies get scared and then they stop producing. Because I don't know, capitalism question mark. Like, I don't know if that's. <laughs> But, you know, the thing is, right, and, and this, is, this is why I think, you know, to me, I think this is the argument for why the tattoo industry broadly should be cheerleading and advocating for more research and probably taking a more active role in trying to think about what regulation might look like. Because right now, we really don't understand a lot about tattoos. And I think that opens the door to some potential for sort of mass hysteria about something, right? You see yeah. it all the time. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are, right? Yeah. MSG and Chinese food, which is in Salem, there's going to be something. And I think someday somebody is going to convince themselves that getting a tattoo caused them to have testicular cancer or whatever. The hepatitis outbreak in New York. Right. Was that, Brian, was it the 70s or the 80s when it wasn't really hepatitis? Uh, it was like 82 or something yeah so i i forget the story behind that but like there was no hepatitis but they banned tattooing right yeah they they blame (laughs) tattoo shops but it wasn't actually tattoo shops that caused it you know the thing is there's not without having the science and the data to push back on something like that 
it's really easy to just say, yeah, you know, we're just going to shut this all down. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, maybe it never comes to pass, but I think that's something I think about a lot, right? Is that we don't really know what's happening in the body. We don't know where the pigment's going. We don't, we don't know. And so, you know, it's hard to argue against somebody who says a tattoo did this to me if you don't have something to push back with, right? You yeah. can say, well, that doesn't happen to anybody else, but maybe we just didn't know, right? That's, so that's what we're seeing in Europe right now. Like the exact same thing, the pigment 15.3 blue and green seven, I think is what it is off the top of my head. They're, they're doing the bands because they're seeing a higher rate of migration into the lymph tissues or into the body than you would normally see with the other pigments. And so being a, a national health care centered space, right? They're, they're proactive rather than being reactionary in the space. So they're wanting to put forth the effort, try and be safe, figure it out before they make a decision. Yeah, I mean, um, like, again, I don't know... I don't really know how hazardous those pigments necessarily are. I know there are some concerns with some of them as carcinogens. And one of the challenges that, you know, pigments from that family of pigments can be hard to distinguish. On the flip side, I work, you know, I, I spent some of my career working with compounds that look like that. And I think yeah. if you told anybody that I, I worked with, like, hey, you know, you can go get this injected into your skin, they would look at you like, like what are you you know right? so, do it it'll be fun yeah, I mean, you know these are things it's uh, like yeah you need you know like don't breathe it in like wear gloves and it's like under a flu you got to be under a hood <laughs> like don't yeah know. right i mean you know with any of, any of these sort of uh, small organic molecules and yeah. so it's it's really interesting you know that most of the pigments that get used in tattoos if our environmental health and safety saw us working with them in the lab no gloves on and, oh they'd lose it you know <laughs> that they would you know lab coats that they would you know we we'd really get a get a hit now again does that mean that they're inherently unsafe in the skin i don't know no. but what i can tell you is that i think most chemists would look at the pigments and go wow i'm really surprised that those get injected that's so great there's there's some dude sitting at home mixing tattoo ink right now and he just stopped everything <laughs> yeah you see like aerosolized carbon right if you stuff like face carbon depending on the actual size and dispersion right it's being used being absorbed in your lungs it's like working in a coal mine you know, CIO2, ventilation yeah, stuff is weird. It's not a little black stuff lung ever heard anyone. That's a whole <laughs> particle size is a whole separate yeah. issue that's totally yeah. neglected in this, right? And we have we have data that, you know, again, I think you look at what sort of the the best thinking about nanomaterials is. And they would say, your particles all need to be above this size. And it's like, yeah. well, here's like a bunch of black inks with particles that are too small for that. And, yeah. and I, I wonder a lot about that, right? What is the risk there? But that does that also explain why, you know, you see some blurring often with like black lines, right? Because is that showing more mobility? Because there's like, there's just the whole, again, if you were starting tattooing from scratch today, yeah. there's so many things in inks that you would never in a million years say, yeah, we're going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> never in a million years 
<laughs> the conclusion, but uh, I think a lot of it's maybe historical that these were the pigments that were available yeah. 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. And, you know, they, they gave good results and nobody was dropping dead the minute they got the tattoo. So you go with it. But again, I, you know, oh, that's fucking great. It, it's just like a lot of times I go, wow, I cannot believe this. In I think it's great when you have somebody who's educated, at least in like this field, right? Like looking at something and like literally doing a head slap in response. So like, what the fuck are you? And it's so, this is what's the political side is coming across, Mr. Dr. John, where you're going like, now I'm not saying anything, but fucking hell, guys. Like, <laughs> it raises an interesting question too, because uh, yeah. either stuff is less hazardous than we treat it, yeah, or it's a lot more hazardous than it's being treated in tattooings. But somewhere there is a disconnect, right? It's the same thing that happens with laser tattoo removals, except I know the disconnect there. Yeah. When I set up a laser, like a class four laser, there's tons of safety protocols I have to go yeah. through, lab inspections, <laughs> curtains, training things. And I can go buy the same laser yeah. to do laser tattoo removal. And there's like, you know, a I think two day class, a two day yeah. class for, right. for that. No continuing education requirements in some states, no licensing. But I'm just... not sure that you need the class to buy the laser. I just no, think you, you need the class to hang out your shingle yeah. and zap <laughs> people with the laser. But I think if you want to just zap put on you these glasses. Your buddies, oh, you're fine. You can buy a laser and just throw it in your living room that would take me six weeks to get approved in an academic setting. Right? And so I think there's oh, here we go. Some of the stuff in the inks is the <laughs> is the analogy to that. I just yeah. went on eBay. So eBay and I, like no word of a lie, this is saying it can ship here in the next five days. I can get and okay, this in no way are we condoning this on this show. If you do this, you're fucking stupid. But you can buy a tattoo yeah. <laughs> removal laser system for five hundred and seventy-five dollars, shipped to home. That's a low end one. It's, oh, only yeah. a, it's only got a single, you know, thing. A professional I'm zap the shit know, out of everybody. I mean, a professional laser with with three modes and a cooling fan is thirty one hundred ninety nine dollars delivered fucking tomorrow. <laughs> if you do that, you're stupid. You don't need a rocket scientist to run a laser. No regulator. Oh my god. <laughs> Jeez, Mr. John, thank you. That was that was fucking awesome. I just my head blew up. I never, I, I've got, I've had that sit in the back of my mind, but I never really thought about asking somebody who literally tests this shit with a laser what the difference is. Because I've been in labs where they use lasers. You got the the fucking the like radiation protection, the goggles. You're outside the room. You're doing this stuff. I mean, mostly like, it's blah, blah, blah. <laughs> the thing is, you know, with our laser, there's a uh, lot of and hearing controls there's eye protection uh, you know everything is kind of controlled carefully but like yeah. i can't buy optical mirrors that could reflect a laser up at a plane without you know proof that i'm not a danger to the to the country <laughs> but i'm pretty sure you i can get a clearance for a mirror 
that's happened before. We they've sent it to us. We've had to prove like that we're not going to stab and that we're not going to. You know, oh, the, dudes, the like, fucking people. men in black show up to Mr. John's lab. Hey, <laughs> what are you doing with this mirror? You plan on shooting down some planes? No. Right. <laughs> I mean, a, you know, and particularly when uh, I was in grad school and like, yeah. you know, you had the war in Afghanistan going, going oh, full shit. guns. They were really worried about people shipping laser mirrors over there and using that to like distract pilots. No. And you could do the same shit with a tattoo removal laser. <laughs> you could just, all right, we're not condoning any type of uh, actions made by people in Al Qaeda. Please, if you're listening to the show, fuck off. This World is, Seekers good. right here, man. This is how you win the war. <laughs> this is how you win the war. No, our target demographic is probably not located in Iran and Iraq. Surprisingly enough, we have quite a few listeners in Jordan, though, so that's funny. Uh, really weird uh our first listener you heard it here first folks <laughs> tattoo industry is gonna tattoo save the next round uh man i didn't mean to laugh that hour. that mean i just see the fucking image i could just see i could just see if like you just sitting in the lab and some dude walking in like fucking david caruso whipping off the glasses giving you a one-liner and saying like what the fuck do you need this for like it's just absurd anyways Oh my gosh. So while you're doing all this testing right now, is there any limitations to your current research uh, and what you will be able to, I guess, understand about the products that are being yeah. tested? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, one of the big limitations is just while we have funding from the National Institutes of Health to do it, you know, we, we have enough funding to nibble on a small corner of this question. Right, it's not, you know, interdisciplinary. It's not sweeping, looking at lots of people and and you know a whole team of graduate students and postdoctoral scholars. It's one grad student, myself, a collaborate, you know, a couple of collaborators and some undergrads. And yeah. so we can learn some stuff, and I think we can advance the conversation. And you know, maybe over the scope of decades, if we can keep keep it going, we can build up a nice body of knowledge. But you know, there's only so much we can do, so much we can understand. Um, and I think that's that's the biggest challenge from a field perspective that there is, right? That there's not a lot of money or funding out there for no research into tattoos. <laughs> no one too. And, <laughs> and so as a result- that's why they're not worried about us being terrorists. We don't have funding. <laughs> and so as a result, there's just not that many people working on it. Right, it's an interesting yeah. question. I have a skill set that maybe lets us look at this aspect of it, but yeah. there's a whole lot more that we can't look at, right? Um, you know, one of the big challenges is that from a technical standpoint, you know, a lot of the pigments that you would use in a tattoo ink don't dissolve well into water, which is sort of the point, right? Yeah. Um, so when you start trying to break them down, it can be kind of a challenge of how do you keep them, you know, you can put them into to what we call an organic solvent, right? Something that's basically paint thinner, yeah. but that doesn't have any relevance to the human body. So how do you, how do you find that trade-off, right? And that's the big challenge for us and everything. You know, we can't put tattoo inks into human skin or even into rats yeah. 
or something like that. So, but we can use dermal cells. Yeah. So is it a good proxy? We think so, but it's like with everything, we have to find a model or a proxy that lets us do this because either, you know, if we want to look at what happens when you zap it with a laser, human skin isn't transparent enough for us to watch what's going on. So yeah. we try to find something that is close that, you know, maybe it doesn't have, right. It doesn't have the same biological properties, but has the same mechanical properties. And so we think that that's what's yeah. important here, but you know, it's, um, you know, it's, it's what we can do with the money we have. Right? Yeah. You know, we don't have, you know, a cast of thousands and, you know, Harvard medicine and Johns Hopkins and Northwestern and uh, the best minds at Florida state and all, you know, like a huge team working on this. Uh, it's a couple of us in, in, you know, the Southern tier of New York trying to learn a little something that, about what's, about how this all works as a non sequitur there would you ever be open to coming to a professional convention that deals with people in the periphery of tattooing or working on science such as yourself yeah i was yeah. at um a couple of weeks ago i was at the association of food and drug officials meeting because there's a body art committee there that's trying to you know trying to think about what regulation and tattoo should look like and trying to bring the you know fda and state regulatory people and tattoo people into the same room and talk about it and be proactive about it right they're trying to get tio2 for example approved as a color additive so yeah. you know i think while a lot of what we do is is focused on talking within the community you know i think it's also important that we get out and we talk to people that are outside of the community. Yeah. So that's, you know, why, why, you know, we try to have conversations with people like yourselves, do podcasts, yeah. do whatever, because we learn a lot. And I think there's enough people that are professionally in the tattoo community. And there's certainly enough people in this country with tattoos that if you were able to motivate all of them, you would certainly be able to find yeah. funding to address all of these questions. But right, God damn it. Everybody listening, send this guy a dollar. <laughs> send him a thousand. But you know, like that's the yeah. you know, that's the that's the thing because it's it's not just us. It's the yeah. you need you need people from like us that are looking at the chemistry of it all the way up through the biology, the toxicology, the dermatology, all of this. Yeah. Right. You know, you know this put makers you need to get everyone. Right. It's not you know, just the science really, interpreted. If you really want to understand yeah. what are the potential hazards of tattoos, you need these sort of huge yeah. studies that look at lots of things beyond just skin cancer, because we don't know, right? We don't know if, if, you know, there's an elevated risk of pancreatic cancer in yeah. people that have had significant tattoo work done, yeah. right? Because the studies that have been done, which are limited, have mostly looked at skin cancer, and that's great. Yeah. They don't seem to see a correlation, but that doesn't mean if the pigments are getting mobile and, you know, getting into your lymph nodes that there couldn't be some other yeah. issue that's there, right? We, I don't think anybody's ever looked at potential 
health rates over time. Health so. issues with people that have had tattoos lasered off. I don't think there's oh. any understanding whether or not that that population of people has developed any sort of health complications at a higher rate than the rest of the population, the rest of the tattooed population. So that'd be easy to do too if you could at least get the uh, the funding to right. pop on some yeah. type of research. Yeah. There are plenty of people that know how to do those kind of studies, right? You see them all the time with yeah. heart health and you know diet and stuff like that, or or you know health consequences of some procedure or some exposure to something. But you know that's something that's going to take years of work. It's going to take years of data processing. It's going to, to take you know jumping through the hoops to get blinded data to find the people to yeah. do the surveys, and that's not free. Right. And so that money has to come from somewhere. And if there is no money for it, it just doesn't, it doesn't happen. Right. Huh? You know, right. There's a little so we just got to start a GoFundMe. <laughs> That's so American. Uh, we need to get like some, some long-term uh, multidisciplinary grants through the NIH that'll have some type of collaboration or cooperation between different spaces, different places. That's going to be, like a, a long-term study, 5, 10, 20 years to really try to understand this stuff. So it's like you wouldn't even have the data that could, that could help people now. Uh, so in, in saying that, is there, is there, because we've said a bunch of scary shit, and I know that people, if they don't understand it, some <laughs> words, what the potential consequences are, is there a way that we could possibly calm the fears of people who are listening about, you know, what the, like tattoo safety, tattoo this, you know, like, like yeah. long-term health I mean, consequences? I think it's important to to note that we try to be very careful to say potential or possible because we really don't actually know if there are general health consequences, right? What what we know for sure is that some people have serious allergic reactions to tattoos, right? That's one thing we know for sure. We don't really understand why. Mm -hmm. No, that's something we'd like to understand. And I think it's probably related to the to something photochemical happening, but we don't really understand that. And I think everything else beyond it is still very much in the realm of hypotheticals. And so there are millions of people getting tattoos probably every day. Mm -hmm. If there was some major cause for concern, you would expect it to manifest. But what we are focused on is what happens down the road, right? Can we understand better the processes, right? If we know that exposure to light is a problem, then maybe it becomes more urgent to to say, like, keep your tattoos covered, right? Or don't go get them lasered off, like that kind of thing. There are other ways you can get a tattoo removed besides a laser that might be better. And so we're not after understanding some specific health concern or safety concern, what we're after is trying to start the conversation and understand where where should we be looking to yeah. know if there's a problem, right? Because if we know, for example, you know that there's a, and we don't know this, just to be clear. But if we so, know, yeah, preface, Tia does it get asterisk, 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 like across I, the board here? Yeah, okay. But you know, <laughs> if, if you know that, for example, there's concerns with heavy metals and tattooings, yeah. you know that lasering the tattoo off seems to liberate those, then you can start thinking about, okay, if I have heavy metals, we, you know, we know how they impact the body. Yep. We know, we know their toxicology. Where should we be looking? 
right? Yeah. And yeah, maybe, yeah. right, exactly. And so that's that's the that's where it's at right now is understanding enough of the basic science that we can start to make predictions. When you can forward. make predictions, then you can test the predictions. Yeah. Right. We know that sometimes there can be heavy metals in tattooings, but what we don't know is does that matter? Yeah. Right. You know, there's a lot of research, I think, from Europe, maybe 10 plus years ago that 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 sounds very scary about high levels of vanadium or cadmium and yeah, cadmium, cadmium. Right, whatever. Yeah. And, you know, certainly if you were looking at this, you would say, well, gosh, like we should really try to keep cadmium out of these things. But taking a step back and being rational for a minute, we don't actually know if that cadmium or mercury or whatever is mobile at all. Right? Yeah. We know it's locked up in the pigment, locked up in the TiO2. It's not doing anything. It never does anything. And so, there's, you know, the only way that we can see it is because we do, you know, acid digestions with a $30,000 microwave and, you know, scary <laughs> aggressive acids. And that's the only yeah. way to get it out. Yeah. We don't know. And, but again, you have to start by saying, okay, we know that when we break these pigments down, we see these metals. Mm -hmm. So now, right, if we take the same pigments and we put them in an environment that's similar to the human body where we have water and maybe some protein, do we see those metals leaching out? Yeah. Or do we not see any evidence of them? Right. Yeah. Can we understand? Is this something to be worried about? It might sound bad, right? But we don't know. You know, it's, some of the things. Same with going in your blood or in your body versus in your skin. Your immune system in your skin is going to react completely different than the immunological state of your body inside by your organs and your blood. Everything is different. So the assumptions that can be made can be made in a proactive state in the European Union where they were trying to think ahead about potential hazards. The big scary bear comes out, right? Ah, don't don't do this just in case. But on our side, we'll be reactionaries. At the same time, it's like, we don't know yet. So YOLO, question mark, just like go out and get that fucking bodysuit. <laughs> you know, I think, <laughs> I think a lot of people in the tattoo community look at what's going on in Europe as, a, as an inherently negative thing. Yeah. Right. And I totally yeah. get that because it's, it's, it's going after. Um, That's the way that they fuck right. their families. It's how they do their stuff. They, Makes them think right. back. Have I hurt people for this long? Like, should I feel guilty about doing my job? Can I do it? But I also think, you know, in talking to some, some, you know, folks that actually manufacture inks, the flip side to it is when you now have to like, I, I don't know if you've read the reach regulations, but they are completely yeah. impenetrable. Yeah. Right. And so I think in some cases it is forcing manufacturers yeah. to take that step up. Yep. Right. And when you start taking that step up, then you start asking questions like, hey, is our material like pure? Right. Yep. Is this like good quality? And, you know, there may be unintended consequences of that. But I think, you know, as an outsider with an incredibly naive perspective on it, I do wonder if that may drive a little bit more rigor into some of the ink manufacturing process. I was thinking the same thing. Getting... Oh, go for it. I was just gonna say, I just get two thought processes off of that. <laughs> One, yeah. the price of tattoo ink's gonna go up, get the fuck over it. Two, 
you're not going to have as many pre-made colors, but you're still going to have a lot of pre-made colors. So some of you that suck at mixing ink are just going to have to learn how to mix ink. Yeah. And, you know, I think the other thing here is there are lots of things that are blue and green in this world. <laughs> right. Oh, it is so, it's so specific. Like 15.3, you can use 15.2. It's not even for that. But That's like, the fucking funny but, thing. But you can even think beyond that. There's a yeah. whole color palette of stuff out there. Yeah. Right. And, you know, preach this every day. Maybe there's not, you know, when there's not a lot of motivation to look at other things, okay, but now maybe there is. And maybe that's an opportunity to start thinking about this from sort of this from, from square from scratch. One, yeah. Right? How do you rationally design a tattoo pigment that might be safe, right? You know, you can start making some guesses. You can start, or you can start thinking about some stuff like, how do you play with TiO2 to change its color? We know how to do that. Yeah. You know, um, there's, there's a lot of knowledge out there in material science, in, in the wider world of chemistry and, and whether it's in academia or industry, where I think those things could be exploited. But again, there hasn't been a lot of... There has to be a lot of other people working together to make sure that's right. It could start with you or people like but, you who are going to design a product, but still has to be tested long term. You know, I think it. What I think it leads to is when you start having larger ink manufacturers that have, you know, real marketplace that might actually be able to think about having a budget <laughs> for R and D, then maybe you can start tapping into some of those things, but. Nobody in academia is going to go. You're very no. <laughs> interested in saying like how designing the next generation of tattoo pigments. Yeah. Because nobody's going to fund that research. But no. you know, if industry wants to fund that research, I think there are answers there. I think there are things that we could do that, you know, at least at first blush, might be better or safer, and maybe offer better outcomes down the road. I just don't think it's an avenue that's been explored. Now, as far as I can tell, people have used commercially available pigments that are mostly used for paint and other stuff from the dawn of time. And, you know, maybe this is an opportunity to think about how do you design bespoke pigments for tattoos? I think it works. I mean, at the same time, if you read through the reach regs on this stuff, there's a section where it says, and I think this still goes down to litigation, right? that the companies have stated that they think that these pigments are safe. So they have been given the pathway to submit a dossier showing supporting evidence for the safety of the pigments being used in tattooing, and then they'll lift the ban. But no paperwork has been submitted. No dossier has been submitted by any of these companies, and there's been no effort to do it. Instead, there's been a blanket clause to try and react by creating fervor in the masses to try and lift the regulations, which right, makes me worry. It's the fucking psychotic American side of me. I'm like, what are they hiding? You know? <laughs> well, I just think, you know, I think most, you know, to to answer a lot of the questions that I think are posed there, you know, how, how do I prove to you that a pigment is safe? Right? How, do I, how do I do the, the experiments that you want and also get it past 
There's no, there's no ethical either. way. There's no ethical way to do so, that. Let's just line up 100,000 people down the road, ball, give them free tattoos. We'll see what the fuck happens. It's like not an ethical pathway to test for strength and safety. <laughs> I like it. I bet you our listeners would love it too. Free tattoos, sign me up. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, but I mean, you know, so uh, I mean, it's certainly, certainly there's going to be negative consequences to it, but I do think that maybe opens the door to thinking about ink manufacturing, the types of pigments that are being used in a new light and maybe provide some impetus to, to think about you know, can we can we design pigments that are better, safer, more vibrant, more usable in some way, right? I, I think the answer is definitely yes. It's just a matter of, you know, can you can you get the support right to do it? Yeah. Nobody designed very few people design new dyes right now because <laughs> there's no it's hard to publish it, right? People there's say, well, no there's markets, man. Yeah. There's no market, there's like it's just not. It's not feedback. a everything. Has it's to start not a problem that people think is down. like a high priority, yeah. right? But it is in the tattoo industry, and I think if you get that word out, then all of a sudden, you know, there's some op. Maybe there's some opportunities there. So, Brian, remember you had like a ton of questions. <laughs> it's your time. I, I just want to know the basics. <laughs> I finished my interview Jeez. stuff. Thanks, Mr. John. That was fucking. That was awesome. Way to scare America. <laughs> <laughs> Does that say it's like let's let's talk about some really simple stuff, right? So like um uh let's like think of the photochemical aspects of this stuff, but the ink in a bottle. So like if I set my ink on a bottle and it's in direct sunlight, what's it doing to my tattoo ink? I don't know. It depends <laughs> a lot on the ink, right? Yeah. I mean, if it's white ink, the answer is probably not much right but if it's red or yellow ink uh, you might be you might be fading that color right and, and i don't know what you're making in that bottle but you know it's certainly certainly possible that you could be breaking something down in there to do something right i mean that's so, okay so now leading off of that all right so like uh, Ryan is currently in Oregon and Oregon has a regulation with tattoo artists where they have to keep their tattoo ink in a closed container out of direct light. So if your response to that question was, I don't really know what it's going to do, but it might do something. Why <laughs> does the health, <laughs> why does the health board have such a strong regulation towards that? I think, you know, and again, I'm just speculating, but certainly to me, you know, the, the way most of these pigments work, right, is they absorb light and they convert that light into an electrical potential. And then, you know, a lot of them are used in energy conversion systems. So if you put them near a oh, semiconductor yeah. like TiO2, they, will, they will generate cells. a current. Yeah, right? yeah. But that Solar means panels. <laughs> some period of time after they absorb light, they are in some more reactive state. Yeah. And so now a lot of them will just shed that, that light energy and go right back down to their ground state and not necessarily do anything. But, you know, again, like that is for at least the, the molecular, what I think is usually referred to as organic pigments, that is how they're working, right? They're absorbing light. 
and they're only absorbing some wavelengths of light and what they're not absorbing is what's, what's giving you the color back. But that very act of absorbing light means that there is a window of time, might be unbelievably small, but there is some window of time at which they can do something chemical out of that excited state. So I think to me, you know, mandating that you would store pigments in the dark, right? I don't know for sure that that's necessary. Right? A lot of that depends on the bottles that are being used, but it sure seems like a, like a, a very simple sort of request that could head off, you know, at, at a minimum, head off fading of the ink so that you have a less vivid product and potentially be heading off, you know, generating inks with a whole bunch of interesting photo products floating around in there. We don't know. Just asking you questions that I almost already know the answer to, just so you're <laughs> the one giving the answer. And not <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. Yeah, I, I never Stop understood why they don't Stop putting your inks out in sunlight. But why not use amber bottles or something else that's got some type of filter in it? Why does it always have to be clear plastic? So uh, one problem with amber glass that. is that it contains iron, and that will slowly leach out over time. Well, right? not, not glass. Yeah, but like, but I hear what you're saying. You know, you could certainly it's amberized plastic. It's just colored on the outside. It's not that it has a filter. You know what I mean? It's just like a, a rough approximation of an actual color. <laughs> sure, but yeah. again, I think you know. My guess is that without there being a lot of push for that to happen, Nothing's you know, you can either if you're making ink, you could buy ten thousand clear bottles and slap a different label on each one. Yeah. Versus if you need to buy specific you know opaque bottles and this one is in yellow and then this one is a yeah. slightly different shade of yellow like you know it's it's that'd actually be really interesting I mean, they do it for beer yeah <laughs> think about that that actually like it i never even thought about that that's really fun mr john like if you were to actually take the outside of the bottles to be absorbing that specific wavelength of energy that will decrease the interactions that are happening with the pigment inside the bottle that's something a fucking scientist would come up with and that's brilliant yeah like but that, again the thing is you know, I just if you were making it, because scientists sell, did come up with it. I don't know if people are going to be excited to when you pull out, you yeah. know, your test series 50 brown bottles. <laughs> you know, Let me get my brown. I got to read the label. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, so I, yeah, I think it makes total sense that you'd want to store them away from the light. Same thing with heat. He can yeah. make a chemical reaction go, keep them, keep them cool and, and out of the light. And at a minimum, I think it'll give you a better color in the product. At a at best, I think it'll give you a safer product. There you go. You're hey, here first, folks. We did it. It's starting front line. If you do tattoos, keep your shit in the fucking drawer. I've been preaching that for so long and no one does it because it, it, it lines the wall. It's like a centerpiece when you look at it, you know, using these LED ultralight, bright, you know, daylight, you know, bulbs. They're just like shining on them 24-7. That's probably okay, right? <laughs> I just hired that new guy and had to tell him to put his shit in a drawer. <laughs> yeah, but they, they do what they do at a restaurant, right? Yeah. They don't put the, you know, like on the dessert platter, they're not putting the dessert you're going to eat there for, to walk around for three hours during dinner. Right? <laughs> no. Oh, man. Put the eggs you're going to use somewhere else and put your display <laughs> out for everybody to marvel at and say, wow, what a. What a, what a rainbow of colors. That's so fucking great. You fucking idiot. Save your old bottles and leave them up there. Just don't use them. There you go. You want it to look pretty? 
You don't go I with don't, paint from Home Depot. Huh? Yeah. That's brilliant. Get the swatches. There you go. Roll them up, stick them in the side. Done. It's expert <laughs> advice from our expert this week, Mr. John. <laughs> That's fucking awesome, dude. I'm having a lot of fun talking with this. We have a dude coming on in two weeks or three weeks who's uh, a PhD neuro uh, neuropsychologist uh, who studies the effects of marketing on the human brain. And I think that we need to pass that question from Mr. John forward about why they just don't put these bottles all just brown. You know what I mean? Like, let him just go at length about that. He's got fMRIs of people looking at Coke cans, so I'm guessing this is going to be really interesting <laughs> for everyone out there. <laughs> That's great. Their brain sparkles every time they see a Coke. Oh. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, we we so eventually, in terms of the ink stuff, our goal is to make it all publicly available on whatsinmyink.com. We're not there yet um, because. Well, in my what's in my ink.com so you broke yeah. yeah so we have the website we've put some data up there but we realized that we can't put a lot of our unpublished data up yet because we run the risk of not being able to publish it not being able to put it through peer review which is you know yeah. i think it's an important part of the process so we're hoping you know in the to finish at least this study up and then we'll be able to start sharing some of that information out there and again it's not to say this is good, this is bad. It's just to say, look, this is what it is, right? You know, we find a lot of chromium in this ink. Maybe that's fine with you, right? Maybe you've had you know a lot of tattoos before and that doesn't bother you, or maybe you're somebody and you know you have an allergy to chromium or nickel, and so this particular ink is not the ink that you want to use, right? You maybe want to use this ink over here. Um, hey, quick question: Do you specifically use uh, ink brand names or anything on that site? We do, and so okay. far everything that is up there is data that has been published and gone through peer review, right? And so okay. that's where, and and again, we also want to be able to share all of our raw data because again, we need to be able to say if somebody comes and says, well, hey, you know, why did you say my ink has a bunch of nickel in it? Like, well, this is the data we got, right? We're <laughs> reporting what we found, we're not, but this is the raw data. You know, this Still is how bias. we did it. These are, yeah. these are procedures. It's gone through peer review. Oh, I think that's great. Here's the science. Figure it out yourself. Yeah. You know, and science. I think that's the difference between just saying, well, you know, this is what we see and we're just going to throw this out there into the world. The process of actually publishing it means it's going through multiple layers of, you know, other chemists other people in the field that are looking at it and saying well no and you know and asking questions right well, why did you do it like this and you know i don't know about this interpretation here it's a it's a pain in the ass right? <laughs> a right. long time to get through yeah. because you know they will nitpick stuff and but yeah. again i think in something like this that's probably important right? right it's important for somebody to look and say well now i don't know about these assignments you've made here and you know, how do you know that this is what it is? And, you know, what are your controls that, that validate this? And show me all of the raw data you collected so that we can be confident in it. That's, I think that's something that often people don't appreciate about science is the barrier to get something published is just enormous, right? Because you've got to get it past 
usually a couple of editors who are also working academics who also know all these things. And then, you know, through- Depending on the journal, which we know, we know about some of those. Right, but you know, we're, you know, (laughs) there are journals that are Uh, nonprofit run by, you know, run by, you know, the American Chemical Society, the Royal Society of Chemistry and (laughs) right, that have high editorial standards that, you know, ethical practices. And so, you know, if we're going to say something, it's it's going to have gone through multiple layers yeah. of vetting. The data hall has to be there. And so until we have that, what we will say is, look, here's this study from 2010 that looked at a bunch of intense inks or one tattoo world inks. This is what they found. Do with this information that you will. It's 12, year, 12 13 years old. It's from Europe. Maybe things have changed, but this is what they found. Yeah. You know, um, and then, but eventually, you know, we'll we'll hopefully be able to share it and talk more about it, and you know, and then at that point, it's like, look, this is the data; it is what it is. And and if you're not happy with what you're, what we're finding in your inks, then maybe you need to think about your process a little bit. Right? <laughs> I love that science can just say, "Sorry, this is just what it is," but you need to change your shit. <laughs> I'm over here. Not- the data's over there. Bye. <laughs> you know, we're not again. We're not policymakers. We're not regulators. No. We're not the FDA looking at this. We're science is not an institution. It's a fucking process. That's it. Right. We're <laughs> we're chemists. We have tools that ninety nine point nine percent of the people don't have access to. That allows us to look at these things in detail. That's what new T shirt idea. No, you just need a T-shirt that says "It's not a threat; it's the truth." Stupid. <laughs> Boom. Uh, all right. Yeah. You got a social media or anything else past the website? You yeah, you know, we've got there? a Twitter Twitter feed at Swerk Lab. You know, my group's website is johnswerk.com. But as we find stuff out, it comes out on at Swerk Lab. But that is about everything that we're doing on tattoos and on on the other areas that we work in as well, because um, we do a lot of stuff with light driving chemical reactions and this is just a component of um, what else? yeah that's awesome yeah you got any more questions brian or can i hit him with the the fucking rapid fire to end this off no you can go ahead all right so, so mr john i have questions but it doesn't pertain to tattoo right? okay <laughs> <laughs> so uh, listen i got nothing i got nothing else on my calendar i'll take anything you want okay so so we'll do a rapid fire and then we'll close up the recording here for a second but um we do this with everyone at the end. Just rapid fire. First thing comes to mind, we'll go with it. And so, what's your favorite book? Mistborn, Brandon Sanderson. Oh, that's cool. Well, that's a good book. Fuck yeah. Um, what's your favorite movie? Shit. Uh, let's go with Ghostbusters. Oh, fuck. That's a good one. Nice. <laughs> favorite place to holiday? Uh, Mexico. That's the third person. That's so fucking great. For that, uh, for very specifically in Ixtapa, there's this hotel. Oh, <laughs> like, little private, like you can get a room with like a little private pool, and it's actually private, and that's it, right? Best thing in the world that's because you just spend the whole time sitting in, in your little tiny four by six pool pretending it's just all yours. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> we, we, we inadvertently got upgraded into that couple of years ago my wife and i were like traveling for our anniversary and they shut down the adult pool while we were there and it was like one pool with thousands of kids and we're like what the fuck like 
like there's nowhere to sit and they're like well we have these other rooms and i was like oh my god this is the greatest thing (laughs) (laughs) oh that's awesome uh dog or cat person dog dog what type of car do you drive uh subaru oh oh fuck yeah that's science right there what's (laughs) what's the most expensive machine you've ever worked with in a chemistry lab Oh, see, that's that's tricky because some of the shared equipment, <laughs> yeah. like in a department, can be like ten million dollars or more. Right? <laughs> yeah, Most I think it's just going to throw down the bling, you know. Like you can see wrappers with the gold chains, but it's like yeah. science, dude. Like an like an fMRI yeah. machine, like an MRI machine is ridiculously yeah. expensive. I mean, a so. high high end electron microscope can be well over ten million. I mean, the most expensive thing in my lab is our laser which is like 120 130k um, that's cool better question yeah have it's, you it's ever amazing broke one, one. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> you, you know broke it, one? it's crazy <laughs> so you buy something in the lab and you're like oh well, two two three grand that's no big deal we just that's cheap we can buy that and then you go home and it's like whoa i'm not spending two or three grand on that are you crazy like uh you know that's so twenty thousand for an instrument starts to sound cheap. <laughs> no. uh, all right, last one for you. Uh, if you could go back to the beginning of your undergrad studies and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Sorry, say that again. If you could go back to your you the first day you start your undergrad studies and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Huh, that's an interesting Don't question. Talk to Brian and Ryan. <laughs> don't eat that chalupa <laughs> uh, yeah hmm. i think probably you know get used to things not working <laughs> that's a lot of stuff in it's just everyone's life work, yeah. or it doesn't work at first and you got to do it over and over again and it's one of the reasons why I, I always encourage undergrads to do research because, you know, it's not so important that they, that they, you know, learn a lot of skills or they get a lot of really good data. It's important that they understand, just like you said, it's a process and the process involves a lot of dead ends and a lot of stuff that you do it. And then you get more data and you go, oh, shit, shit. actually, we didn't quite do that right. We got to do that again. And no. then you know, that happens three or four more times till you're ready to pull out your hair. But eventually it's like, all right, now we've got to do a place where like, now, you know, we, we think we've like whack-a-mold all the problems and we understand the issues and like, you know, now we have a good understanding of everything. Like this is good, this is solid. But, you know, unless you, you've done it, you don't really... You don't really appreciate it and so you know you don't want somebody to, to decide to go to grad school and then not be prepared for how many times they will be failure Fail. well, <laughs> yeah or you know or uh, if you find something that doesn't match up with what's in the literature how what a barrier it is to 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 fix it i when i was in grad school i said to my thesis advisor look i think something you published a while ago i don't think this experiment was done right I had to do it a hundred times and showed him a hundred results that were exactly the same before he was like willing to say, okay, maybe we didn't get that right. It wasn't like, it wasn't, it wasn't that somebody had had done something intentionally wrong. It's just the technique wasn't good and they didn't measure what they thought they did. That's all. Right. But 
you know, so I think that's see grad advisors like fuck it, I'm moving to another school. Deuces. No. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Make sure your grad advisors are tenured people. It helps. <laughs> that's good advice. So John goes back to younger John. You're gonna fail. Get used to it. That's cool. All right, so that was our talk with uh, Dr. John Swirk. You can find Dr. John online at the Swirk Group. Uh, you can just type it into Google, or you can go to johnswirk.com. That's John, J-O-H-N-S-W-I-E-R-K.com. Just, the, the dude's amazing. He's going to be back on soon. So, you know, everyone give him an applause from your car or living room or whatever you want to do. Um, if you clap, that's great. I'll just do it. All right, started the circle. How great is that? Because he's good, and he knows his stuff. The dude's super-duper bright. Um, I was very pleased to have him on. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be trying to get some cognitive neuroscientists who are dealing with marketing and tattoo-related stuff on the show. Uh, <coughs> I'm getting my buddy Adira to come on. If you listen to this episode, Adira, and it's all the way through, what up, bro? We're going to be bringing him on because he's developing tattoo-related technologies to deliver DNA vaccines to remote places on the world. Super-duper fun stuff. So if you're interested in any of the science bits, uh, look forward to us in the future. It's going to be great. Uh, Brian's got a couple things cooking. I'm not going to say anything because he's not here because he lives in another state. But he's got a couple things cooking, which is going to be fun. So we're going we're gonna to look forward to that. And I think next week... Brian and I are recording live together for the first time since we started this because he's coming back to town. Oh my goodness. I'm super happy. I get in, you know, try to get a hug from that fucking rough and tumble bugger and just watching me probably punch me in the throat, which should be all right because that's what friends do, right? Anyways, thanks for listening to the show this week. If you get a chance to, please go on your favorite podcasting platform and leave us a review. It really helps us move up the rankings uh, and get a little bit more exposure. So thank you anyways, again, for those who have, and we'll leave you for uh, this week. We'll see you soon. Bye.